Good evening, church. I love being with you. I love being back here in Abilene and getting to see some of uh, the folks from Baker Heights and other congregations and to be here again uh, with you here at Oldham Lane. I love this church family and I love spending some time with you. And I'm so incredibly uh, thankful that Chris assigned me the topic that he did. He allowed me to kind of wrap up your series. And it sounds like I know that you had a wonderful series uh, this summer. And, and I'm so thankful to wrap up on this idea of the power of unity. I don't know about you, but I'm a, a big picture kind of a person. I like to know why, right? I'm, maybe some of you are like that. I like to know why. If you're going to ask something of me and say, hey, would you do this for me? Then I, I kind of want to know why. Why do you, and if it's a little thing, you know, maybe not. You know, if, if you say, uh, could, you, could you hand me that pencil? You don't have to explain to me what you're going to use the pencil for. If you, if you want directions to the grocery store, I don't need your shopping list. I don't need to know why. But, but if something is, is going to take a lot of time, and it's complicated, and it's hard, it's going to take a lot of effort, then I, I kind of want to be bought into it, don't you? You know, if somebody's going to ask you to do something challenging and difficult over a long period of time, then you need to know why. And sometimes even when you know why, you need a reminder of why. You need to be reminded, oh yeah, ah, that's what we're trying to do. You ever been on a, on a long road trip? I, Texas is huge, right? I mean, we know that. If you've ever driven anywhere in Texas or even outside of Texas, it takes forever just to get out of Texas, right? I mean, you can drive, seems like for days, and it's still Texas, you know? And, and, and then one time, or a couple of times, when we lived here, we drove to Florida. Ah, and that's one of those trips, and the kids ask, of course, the whole way, are we there yet, right? That's what the kids are asking, and I'm asking, why did we do this, right? What were we thinking? And, and along the way, you need a reminder, don't you? Oh, yeah. That's why we did this. That's where we're going. That's the big picture. That's the payoff at the end. That's what this is all about. And if you're a leader, if you're a leader in your car, and not only are you reminding your kids, no, we're not there yet, and stop hitting your brother, and don't touch that, and, and stop whining, and start doing this, and you have to remind them of those things, but you also have to cast a vision. Don't you? And say, remember where we're going. Remember, D Disney World is there. That's where we're headed, okay? It's all going to be worth it. And casting a vision to say, this is why we're doing what we're doing. Unity can be that way. It can be incredibly hard, can't it? To get I know you're easy to get along with, but it's everybody else, right? It's everybody else is hard sometimes to get along with. And so if we just say, hey, get along with each other, be unified, be patient with each other, love each other, help each other, bear each other's burdens, sometimes we need a reminder why. Why? Why is this thing called unity so significant, important? Why is it that God wants us to be together and be, as our series this summer has said, one? Why one body? Why one people? Why one family? Why oneness? Why unity? What's the big picture here? What's being accomplished? Why does it matter? 
whether or not I get along with him or whether or not I get along with her or whether or not I ever talk to them again. What difference does it make? What's the big picture here? That's what I want us to talk about. And even if you know the big picture and even if you've heard all this a million times before, you need to hear it again. And I need to hear it again. Because along the way, it gets hard to be unified and we need a reminder, why are we doing what we're doing? What is being accomplished here? Even, even when we say, as Christians, I'm sure everybody here could tell us, yes, I know that God has saved me through Jesus. But do you know why? 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 For what purpose are you saved? What is the end result? What's the purpose of God saving you? You say, well, I don't know. He just likes me a lot, right? Yes, yes, God likes you and God loves you. Yes, but there's more to it. There's a bigger why. Why did God in Jesus save you? Why did he give his spirit to you? Why did he bless you with all of these very great blessings and promises? And why in the age to come will he continue to shower grace and blessings on you? Why? What's this salvation thing all about anyway? That's what we're going to tackle. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. You've probably heard me say this before, and if you haven't heard me say this before, you've heard Chris or someone else say this before, but the way Paul tends to work in his letters, whether that be Ephesians or Romans, not so much Galatians and kind of starts and stops in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, but Paul, before he tells somebody what they should do or what they ought to be thinking or what they ought to be doing and treating other people or how they ought to be living, before he tells them how to live, he tells them why. And he sets this theological foundation. And so here he begins with all of these blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. And he says, in love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the, and I love this phrase, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So Paul says, this has always been God's plan, that that God would adopt us Jew and Gentile, into his family, that we would be one family, adopted as God's family. To to this end, he says, to the praise of his glorious grace. And, And later in the same chapter, we'll read this in a second, he'll say, to the praise of his glory. And and a second time, to the praise of his glory. What did what does that mean anyway? To the praise of his glory. We don't have time to really dive into it like I'd like to, but but glory refers to God's status, God's reputation, God's kingship, and and the way that God rules, and the way that God is king. And and so we are saved to the praise of his glory, 
to say that's the kind of king he is. That's the kind of God he is. That's the way he rules. That's the way he saves. That's the way he adopts. That's the way he brings together. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Paul's going to say later in the same book that the mystery, do you know what the mystery is? The mystery is that God would include the Gentiles in the family of God. That's that's probably most of us, isn't it? The nations. That God's plan, God's will, was to bring together people of every tribe and nation and tongue and to make a family out of all the people of the earth. Not just Jew, but also Gentile. According to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to, you see what it says? Unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That is the purpose behind it all. From, from the days of the garden, there was a scattering, a dispersion, an exile, right? And as people multiplied and sinned, they continued to be exiled and dispersed and scattered and separated from each other and from God. And God's plan for the fullness of time, the purpose of Him sending Jesus, is to do what? Unite, sum up, gather together all things in heaven and on earth to reconcile all things in Him. You see, unity is the purpose. Unity is the purpose. Verse 11, in Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Here's how I'd sum up those verses. The goal of salvation, the goal of everything God is doing in Christ, verse 10, is unity. The goal of our salvation is unity, and the purpose of that unity is the praise of God's glory. Now, now do we always think that way? When we say, what's the purpose why was I saved? Or why is unity important? We tend to think that the purpose of unity is salvation. Don't we? Why, why should I get along with him? So you can go to heaven. And if you don't get along with him, you can't go. If you don't get along with her, if you're not unified, if you don't seek unity, then you can't be saved. It's a little bit backwards, isn't it? 
The purpose of unity is not salvation. The purpose of salvation is unity. Do you see the difference? The reason you were saved, the reason that God in Christ Jesus has saved you is to make you a part of his one family. The purpose of salvation is unity, and the goal or the purpose of that unity is the praise of God's glory. So that God in Christ could sum up and gather together and reconcile and unite all the peoples of the earth in Christ, under the banner of Christ, in the kingdom of Christ, and gather us all up. And that would be a testimony to the way that God rules. A testimony to his reputation. A testimony to his status. A testimony to his honor. A testimony, a praise to his glory. You, you weren't saved for your sake alone. Yes, yes, your salvation is for your sake and for your benefit, absolutely. But you and I were saved so that you and I could be one. And not just you and I, but people of every nation and tribe and tongue so that he could unite all things in heaven and on earth. That's what verse 10 says, isn't it? The purpose, the goal of salvation is unity, and the purpose of unity is the praise of God's glory. Now look at chapter 10, or chapter 2, rather, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called, quote, the uncircumcision, you uncircumcised people, you people that aren't part of the family, you people that are the nations, the others, you people that are on the outside. Remember, at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that at one time, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And I mean, we could talk about our own personal experiences, right? Before we became Christians, and maybe we felt that, like we felt alienated and we felt separated. But whether we ever felt it or not, maybe you grew up coming to church, so you never really felt that. Paul isn't talking about your personal experience of being away and now being a part of the family. He's talking about on a, on a cosmic scale, on a global scale, on an international scale, that there was one family of Abraham. And to that one family of Abraham belonged all the promises and all the hope. God belonged to them and they belonged to God. And the rest of us, we were out of luck. We were cut off, we were separated, we were scattered, we were exiled, we were dispersed. But, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been, great words, brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, made us both, who is the made us both? Gentile and Jew, Israelite and non-Israelite, circumcised and uncircumcised, 
because Jesus has offered himself as an atoning sacrifice, like a priest who's gone into the Holy of Holies and made payment for our sins, he's cleansed us all. Jew first, also Gentile, and brought us all into the same family. He has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making what? Peace. This is the point. This is the point. If we say, yes, God, I want you to save me so that I can be with you forever, and we forget, about everybody else that he's reconciling us to and that he's breaking down walls of separation, walls of separation between ethnicities and languages and cultures and people, and he's bringing us all together to be one family, one body, one new man. If we forget about that, we've missed the point, church. If we, if we think it's just about me and God, me and God, we got a special relationship, and you know, he saved me, and that's all I care about. All I care about is being with God. Well, you ought to care about something else, too. And that's these people. That's all people. Even those who right now are on the outside, it's God's will that they, too, be reconciled and to be brought together with you. But we can be just as caught up in those cultural barriers as Jewish people were in the first century, right? The, the, the people that, Paul used to be like that. And for him, things like circumcision and the kosher food you eat or you don't eat, the clothes you wear, the holidays you separate, those sort of cultural barriers separated Paul from everybody else. Separated Pharisees from everybody else. In fact, the word Pharisee is about separation. I want to be separate from everything, everything unclean, everything bad, everything wicked. I want to separate myself. And God says, no, 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 listen. I'm calling you together. I'm calling you together. I'm bringing you together. I'm breaking down those walls, those cultural walls, those national walls, walls those language walls, those whatever those walls may be. I'm bringing you together in one family and one body. This is at the very heart of the gospel. Yes, so that you can be with God, yes, and so that you can be with God's people. It was just one group of people, and it was just God and those people, and God said, no, no, the purpose of this group is that all nations of man be blessed. All nations of the earth will be blessed through Israel, through the seed of Abraham, through Jesus. And that's you and that's me so that we could be brought into this one family. Verse 16. Where are we? I got all caught up. I, I don't even know where we are now. Sorry, verse 16. And might reconcile us both. You see those words? Might what? Reconcile us both to God in one body, both, both Jew and Gentile, both in one body to God through the cross, thereby killing the what? Hostility. 
Yes, I suppose hostility between us and God, but hostility between you and everybody else. No more hostility. No more barriers. No more walls. We're one family, one body. That's what God seeks is us together loving one another as part of one unified family. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, the Gentile, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You, all of you, all of you, are part of the family now. Not because of circumcision, not because of the law, not because of the ordinances, but because of your faith in Jesus, because of what Jesus has done for you, your one family in Christ Jesus. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him also you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The church, the unity of the church is not a sub-point to the gospel. I once had a brother tell me, you know, I, I just want to get somebody baptized and then later on I'll tell them about the church. Wait a second. Something seems wrong to me in that. Don't you? This is the point. The point of what God in Christ is doing is to unify and bring together, reconcile, sum up all things in heaven and on earth to bring us together so that we can be a temple. You're a stone, you're a stone, you're a stone, I'm a stone. Brought together so that we can together be the temple of God by the Spirit so that He dwells in us collectively. We like to talk about the Spirit and how the Spirit dwells in us and I love to talk about the Holy Spirit. I love that the Spirit dwells in me and Sometimes we forget that the vast majority of discussion about the Spirit in the New Testament is that the Spirit dwells in us collectively. Individually, yes, absolutely, but collectively. So Paul is saying here, collectively you are the temple of God. This is the why. This is the why behind unity. It's one thing to say, hey, God wants you to get along. God wants you to be nice. God wants you to be unified. You should be unified around these truths. You should be unified. It's one thing to say we should do that and we ought to do that, but it's another thing to say, here's why. Because God is building a house. God is building a house. In order for him to dwell in that house, we got to be together. That's his whole purpose, is to bring us together. And the reason why you were made holy is so that you could be part of his holy house. The reason why you were made holy is so you could be part of his holy people. The reason you were sanctified and saved and justified is so that you could be a part of the people of God, members of his family, adopted into his family. Look at the next chapter, chapter 3 and verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me 
given me by working of his power to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints. His grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I mean, when Paul would go out into a community to preach to Gentiles and he would share the good news with them, this, this was at the heart of it. Hey, you know the God of Israel? The God of the Jewish people? He wants you to be part of his family. Not to become Jewish, not to follow all the ordinances and the rules and the law of Moses, but for you in Christ Jesus to be a part of this family. And it's this family who's going to receive this incredibly great inheritance. And it's for you too. Can you imagine? I mean, imagine, imagine if you inherited or you found out you were going to inherit a huge sum of money from some uncle you had, some uncle you didn't know, and you get a letter in the mail that says, hey, you and your brothers and sisters, you have a huge inheritance coming. And instead of just saying, man, I'm excited, just, I'm going to hold on to that, I'm so excited about it, you go out and you start telling your neighbors, hey, listen, listen, I want you to be adopted into our family so that you can share this inheritance. <laughs> who, who does that? God does that. It's exactly what's going on here. It's Paul going out into the world and finding everybody and saying, I want you to be my brother. I want you to be my sister so that you can share in my family's inheritance. All of these promises that my people have had for so very long, now in Christ Jesus, the doors have been burst open and now it's for everybody. And I want you and you and you and you to be my brothers and sisters. Is that how we approach the world? Is that how we approach each other? I am so happy that we get to share this. You ever, you ever have an experience, maybe you go on a, a great vacation, you know, the long trip is over and you forgot how bad the drive was, but you just remember how beautiful it was there and the great time you had there and you come back home, what do you want to do? Well, used to you wanted to do this, now we can just take a picture and put it on Instagram, you know, and they know about it immediately. But in the old days, we'd go and, we, you know, you remember, you, we'd get the pictures developed and, you know, eventually we'd get them developed. And we want to tell somebody about it, don't we? We want to share with them. I want you to share in this experience with me. That's the way it ought to be in the church, and that's the way evangelism ought to operate. I want to share this with you. I want to share this experience with you. I want to share this inheritance with you. I want to share these promises with you. It's all about this. It's not just about me being saved, me being with God for eternity. It's about us, and it's about as many people as possible sharing in it now and sharing in it forever. Verse 9 and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things so that, here's where I really want us to focus, so that through the church, so that, purpose statement, right? Purpose statement. So that through the church, the, the manifold wisdom, the various ways God is wise, so that through the church, the various multiple ways that God is wise, that God is wise in every conceivable way, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's cosmic, church. Paul says there's things going on 
There's rulers and authorities you don't even know anything about. You don't even see. They're in the heavenly places. That means the unseen places. They're behind the veil, as it were. And and what is happening here is that in the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known in the heavenly places. Not that we preach to the people in the heavenly places, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It's that our unity is a testimony to the manifold wisdom of God in the heavenly places. We can't even wrap our mind around how big and how significant and how paramount and how important our unity is. Your unity, my unity, our unity is a testimony to the manifold wisdom of God. This is how we do it. This is how we human beings that are flawed and struggling and messed up and still have our own baggage, how in us the manifold wisdom of God is displayed to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places is this. And it's pretty simple, isn't it? Paul urges them, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This is your calling that you be one. That you leave your life of sin and hostility and rebellion and that you be one. You are called to give testimony to the glory of God. This is who our God is. This is how He rules. This is how He has united us. And our unity is a testimony to the manifold wisdom of God. And Paul says, that's your calling. Now do everything you can to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What does that look like? With all humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We we don't create unity. You didn't create unity. God, through Jesus, in the Spirit, has created the unity of the church. It's your job and my job to participate in it, to step into it, to walk in it. We participate and we maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why? Because the unity of the church is a testimony. It makes known the manifold wisdom of God in the heavenly places. It makes known God's wisdom in every conceivable way. His peacemaking wisdom. I mean, think about that for a second. Who could do such a thing? Who could do such a thing? Think about our nation alone, our culture alone, and the disunity that exists, and the fighting and the quarreling and the bitterness and the anger and the hostility in our culture alone, much less all the other cultures in the world. Who could do such a thing to make peace and bring people together and to tear down the walls of hostility? Our God can. And it's our job to maintain that unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
Because when we do so, we give testimony, we give praise to his glory, to the way that he rules, to his manifold wisdom. Our unity does that. But when you say, listen, I don't want to participate. I don't want to get along with them. I don't like those people. I don't like that person. I don't like what she did. I don't like what he did. I don't care what they say. I'll never forgive them. We say, I don't care about God's glory. I don't care about God's reputation. I don't care that his manifold wisdom is made known. Well, listen, it's going to be made known with or without you. His glory will be praised with or without you, with or without me. It's up to me whether or not I'll participate in his manifold wisdom being made known. Our unity is a testimony to the promise-keeping wisdom of God. Our unity is a testimony to the enemy-defeating wisdom of God. It is a testimony to God's wisdom in every conceivable way. Here's how we might sum it all up. The spirit-empowered unity of the church results in the praise of God's glory. The spirit-empowered unity of the church results in the praise of God's glory. That's the why. That's the why. Why are we doing this? Being unified is a lifelong pursuit. There's times where it's hard where you have to practice humility and forbearance and bearing with one another in love. Some translations put it tolerating one another in love. Because sometimes all you can do is put up with people. Some people are hard to put up with. I'm at the top of that list. And you've got to put up with me. We've got to find a way to be one. Why? Because I want to participate in God's glory being praised. I want to participate in the manifold wisdom of God being made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Our unity is of cosmic importance, more so than we have any idea I mean, we could talk about some practical things. Why should we be unified? Well, it's really nice, and, you know, it's really good, and, you know, people like the church better when we're unified. Yeah, 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 all that may be true. But our unity is of cosmic importance. I don't know about you, but I want to participate in that. And if I'm going to participate in it, then it requires me to walk in humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. And when we do that, when we're unified, one Lord, one Spirit, one God, one baptism, one family, we make known the manifold wisdom of God. It results in the praise of God's glory. So maybe, maybe there's somebody here tonight and you haven't been united reconciled to God through Jesus and to your neighbor through Jesus and made a part of the one family. And you're ready. You're ready to participate in God's wisdom being made known through you. God's rule being made known through you. God's glory being made known through you. You're ready to be a part of that by being baptized into Jesus. Or maybe Maybe as has happened to all of us, 
even after we've been reconciled, we've allowed ourselves to get scattered. All it takes is one, one wedge driven between two Christians, and Satan has a foothold. He loves it. He loves it when a wedge is driven between two brothers in Christ. He loves it when a wedge is driven between two sisters in Christ. Which I think is why Jesus would say, if you are offering a gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave it there and go first be reconciled to your brother because this unity is of paramount importance. It's of cosmic importance. So let me encourage you, if you remember that someone has something against you or you have something against someone else, be reconciled because your unity helps to make known the wisdom and the glory of God. If you need prayers or you need encouragement or you need to put Jesus on in baptism, if you need this church family, we want to be there for you tonight. Come forward now as we stand and sing.